This afternoon, I'd like to forthrightly address a question that I don't think has yet been adequately addressed. I'm glad to be on a panel grabbing at it uh, directly. And that is, why is it worthwhile for Americans to defend Taiwan and basically hold the defense line in Asia itself? In very concrete terms, in very practical, self-interested terms, what's in it for us as Americans? Now, I think this question is especially pointed for those of us in the national conservatism world or so-called new right. To my eye, there's actually quite a great deal of agreement among us that China is a major, in fact, the overriding foreign threat and that American policy needs to address it. At the same time, though, most of us, I certainly am, are rightly opposed to the forever wars and skeptical of more military interventions. So in brief, there's agreement on China, but not on what to do about it or how far to go in doing something about it. Indeed, I'd say there's a stance on part of the new right that basically advocates pulling back militarily and politically from Asia, ideally and with the logic of solely focusing on reinvigorating our economy, our industrial capacity, et cetera, at home. In the brief time I have here, I'd like to lay out why I just don't think that will work for Americans' concrete interests. Now, let's start with first principles. What is the rightful purpose of American foreign policy? Now, we can wish others well, but it's not about pacifying or democratizing the world. Rather, I think a small r Republican foreign policy should focus on protecting and promoting Americans' physical security, our liberties, and our prosperity and economic security. Now, if we identify the threats to those goods, by far the most dangerous is a very great power that could attack or undermine them. Power is the main thing. Lesser threats, by definition, can be dealt with more easily. And we're here on 9-11, they are as a very real threat, but it is one that we can manage. Now, America is roughly 20% of global GDP, and economic productivity, of course, as Peter Thiel eloquently put it, is the root of power in the modern world. So this means that only a very great state could hope to become so strong as to really menace us. And the only state in the international system that remotely matches up to that description is China. But China on its own is not strong or big enough. It's also right now about roughly 20% of global GDP. So how could China pose such a threat to our interests? Well, by dominating Asia, its neighborhood. Asia is now again the center of the world, upwards of 50% of global GDP going forward. So if Beijing could dominate Asia, it would be in a very strong position to dominate the world and us. Now, is China actually going to pursue this goal? Is this just speculation? I think 10 years ago, we might have had a good debate about this, but now the answer, I think, pretty clearly is yes. Their behavior, frankly, their statements, and a deeper level, their interests, all point in the direction of Beijing pursuing such hegemony over Asia. We can see why, I think, by briefly examining what it would look like and why China would gain so much from it. Now, if China becomes dominant over Asia, it will have a controlling influence over roughly half of the global economy. With this power, it will undoubtedly ensure that it is the center, the prime beneficiary, and effectively the director of the global economy. And why not? In this context, Beijing could ensure that China is the richest, most economically secure, and most influential country in the world. In such a scenario, global trade and commercial flows will gravitate toward and around China. China will have a scale and power to ensure that its companies are the world leaders, not the technology companies that we were talking about, that its universities are the best, that its standards are met, and that its rules are followed. It will be the gatekeeper to the world's largest market area with unmatched scale, which of course is key to economic development. Now to those who play ball with such a China, falling into line in its value chain, following its rules and so forth, there will be rewards. But for those who resist or don't comply, there will be penalties, exclusion from access, tariffs, sanctions, and so forth. Think of the economic power that we can now wield against Russia in Beijing's hands and at even greater scale. 
Now, in this world, American autarky just won't work. Now, I stress that I support industrial policy and revivifying our manufacturing sector, R&D, et cetera. That, to me, is not an issue. We should completely be doing that. But what I'm here talking about is withdrawing from Asia and, and focusing on uh, essentially a kind of an autarkic model. Why won't it work? First of all, we will be at best roughly, as I said, 20% of global GDP, which is, offers a far smaller basis for competition, making it likely that our economy, at best, would be outclassed and left behind by China's giant area over time. Even more, though, let's be realistic, China will almost certainly seek to diminish us. This is just basic power politics, not to mention that if you listen to what the Chinese say, this is pretty clearly what they're going to do. America is the only country that can possibly stand up to China. So China will seek to weaken and, by extension, impoverish us. And Beijing will have many instruments to use against us. Meantime, we will not be able to count on our allies. Let's get real. The Asian allies, those big economies that we might lean on today, will be under China's control, effectively. And if we look at fractious and economically anemic Europe, we certainly won't be able to count on them either. In this world, Americans might be physically secure, of course, given our two oceans and our nuclear arsenal, but we would be much less prosperous and economically secure, and thus also much less free. Frankly, we'd all be working for Chinese companies or subsidiaries in one way or another, answer to Chinese regulators, and read and consume information curated in Beijing. We'd all be con compelled to dance to Beijing's tune. To make it concrete, I think we all, I have no doubt, agree that there are huge problems with our social media companies and the way they are regulated today. But we are all assuming that the Americans have the power to remedy the problem, that we, in, whether it's in Washington or Sacramento or what, Austin, et cetera, that we can fix the problem. But if Beijing is dominant over the world economy, that will not be the case. The social media companies will be owned or ultimately be answerable uh, to Beijing. And the situation will be even worse than it is now. So the fact is, actually, we don't even really need to speculate because Beijing is already showing us what this world will look like. Observe the way they use economic sanctions, not only against pretty much all of their neighbors, uh, but also even like Canada, Lithuania, Australia. And as for the nature of what their hegemonic rule will look like, observe Hong Kong. And bear in mind that China is a famously nationalist country, and that is how it treats its own people. So I think we have little reason to expect that we would get better treatment. So these are the stakes, then. You'll notice, perhaps, that I have not mentioned either Taiwan or China's military, and that's not an accident. The stakes here, I stress, are economic and political, about who has power in the future world economy. And I think I can presume in this audience that I don't need to argue why political power matters a great, very great deal for economics. But the means that China will need to use if it wants to achieve this ascendancy are military. And Taiwan occupies a central position along Beijing's path to this goal. This is because countries are unlikely to accept Chinese hegemony just due to economic sanctions and suasion. Beijing appears to agree as it is embarking on an historic military buildup of both its conventional and its nuclear forces. And this is clearly a military buildup specifically designed not only to resolve the Taiwan issue, but to project power throughout the region and ultimately the globe. I mean, give me a break. The Chinese were looking to open a military base in Equatorial Guinea, which is on the Atlantic coast of Africa. I have to actually look it up where it is. I mean, we, this is not speculation. They're building aircraft carriers, a space architecture, etc. Meantime, they are actively preparing for a conflict with us. Xi Jinping has given specific instructions to get the, the, the PLA ready for a conflict. Now, my view is that our goal in the face of this should be to prevent China from dominating Asia without a war. That is the crucial goal, a decent peace without war. But the only prudent way to achieve that goal is to be prepared to fight in a way that shows Beijing it just won't gain if it starts a conflict. Now, this is cliched stuff. 
If you want peace, prepare for war. But the reason it's so cliched is that it's deeply rooted common sense. The key to achieving this goal of blocking China from dominating Asia is a coalition, particularly in Asia. Now, this is not about Tony Blinken-style sacred alliances or the rules-based international order. Not at all. It's a practical, hard-nosed reality. We need a coalition because it's neither fair nor realistic for Americans to take on this enormous and dangerous task alone. Now, fortunately, there are many countries in Asia that have the will and the way to help stand up to China, like India, Japan, Australia, etc. The key, though, is to make sure that this coalition works, that it stands up and holds together in the face of Chinese pressure and, if necessary, aggression. We cannot take that for granted, though. Countries in Asia are quite reasonably wondering whether it's prudent to stand up to China, and I think they will be listening, for instance, to this conference. They don't want to live under Beijing's thumb, but if the alternative is disaster and exclusion from all the goods that Beijing has to offer, they are much more likely to cut a deal. Thus, the key to making this coalition work is the conviction that it's prudent, that it's reasonable, that the coalition, by simple necessity led by a strong and pur purposeful America, is powerful and resolute enough to hold together. Now, it's in this hard-nosed context that Taiwan takes on such importance. We might admire its democracy and its entrepreneurial spirit, but those are not enough to justify Americans going to war, in my view. Taiwan is important to us, though, for two reasons, because it's militarily critical and because it's a bellwether in Asia. First, Taiwan is vital to the defense of Japan, South Korea, and the Philippines. If China occupied Taiwan, it would pose a much greater threat to these countries and be able to project power deep into the Pacific. And this is a very real possibility, as we can see from what China is up to in the Solomon Islands, and they're building a navy and a space architecture and an air force to support it. Second, Taiwan is a canary in the coal mine. Now, credi credibility arguments always deserve great skepticism, as we found in Vietnam and so forth. But it's only rational for Taiwan's neighbors to look at how we treat Taiwan, to which we're committed, as whether we like it or not, as an indicator of how we would treat them. Whether we like it or not, Taiwan's fate will play a major role in whether co countries think we're reliable as the cornerstone of this coalition. Indeed, this is important to emphasize, as a result, if we cut loose Taiwan or if we let it fall, we'd probably have to do far more aggressive and radical things to prove that we're reliable at all. Here's the thing, though. This all adds up to a very significant American interest in Taiwan, but it is not existential. It's not American territory. It's not the homeland. I think of it as, say, a 70 out of 100, if you kind of give it a swag. Now, this is where what I call a denial defense comes in. If it's a 70% interest, we can't have a total war or economy crashing strategy to defend a significant but not existential interest. Rather, we need a strategy that's keyed to the importance of the interest. And this is what a denial defense does. It focuses on defeating a Chinese invasion of an ally like Taiwan, ensuring Beijing can't seize and hold its key territory. It's a relatively low strategic standard, actually. Just denial of the invasion, not conquest, dismembering China, changing its regime, etc. But it's very demanding in reality because of how strong and nearby China is. The good news, contra what David says, is that this is feasible. We can do this if we put our mind to it. Taiwan is, after all, an island 100 miles off the coast of China, and amphibious operations are very, very difficult. They're not impossible, but they're very, very difficult. And America's military strong suits are in aerospace, maritime, high technology, exactly the kinds of things we would need to defeat a cross-strait invasion. There are also areas of strength for Japan, Taiwan, and Australia, our, our key allies in the region. The bewildering, and indeed infuriating to me, thing is that we are not doing what is needed to, to build an effective denial defense. And frankly, we're spending ungodly amounts of money, and we could probably do what I'm talking about for well under 100 billion, probably under 50 billion dollars. Wouldn't solve all the problems that David rightly points to, but it would be a great start. 
The best way to avoid war on decent terms is to, is to show China that we have the ability to defeat their invasion in a manner that's not crazy for us to implement, yet it's not what our government is doing. This is yet another reason why we need a fundamental change in Washington. Let me just close by emphasizing that everything in my argument is rooted in my assessment of what's in Americans' concrete interests. It's not about ending evil in the world or making it safe for Wilsonianism. It's about defending Americans' security, liberties, and, and prosperity from a very real and given China's size, in some ways, unprecedented threat. For that reason, I hope that national conservatives will support it. Thank you very much.